Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So chapter three, uh, creating a budget that you will actually use. Uh, And it's in this chapter where we want to begin to take a journey from mere numbers on a piece of paper to a living document that directs your life uh, towards their family mission and values. Uh, Because it's my belief that embracing that distinction is the difference between something that you'll try and quit and a lifestyle that you will embrace and advocate for others. Because when we begin to see that a budget is something that directs our life and moves it in the direction of where we really want to go, instead of a jail cell that we have to live in and it constantly tells us no, that is what's going to be what motivates us and pushes us to actually steward our resources in this way. And so Randy Alcorn gets us started. Uh, He says, one of our central spiritual decisions is determining what is a reasonable amount to live on. Whatever that amount is, and it will legitimately vary from person to person, family to family, we shouldn't hoard or spend in excess. And so what he's saying there is when we come to actually making a budget, and that's what we're doing in in this chapter, is we are looking at how do we put this together and create a document that in 30 minutes or less a week we can actually navigate our finances, it's going to look different for all of us. And that's okay. And there's not a uniform right budget out there. Uh, But what we will do is we'll walk through several steps. And the first step is getting to know your monthly budgeting form. We kind of walk through the categories and the big picture of it. Uh, In your notebook, you have a form that looks like this. We're going to take some time for you to get to know this. Uh, Because it's my experience that I am not going to use a document that I don't know. If it feels foreign to me, I'm simply not going to use it because I'm going to look at it, I'm going to get nervous, I'm going to say I'm not smart enough to do this, and I'm going to back away from it. And then at some point later, I'm going to wish I hadn't, but then when I come back to it again, it's still going to feel foreign and I'm not going to use it, and I get caught in that nasty little trap. And so when we look at this document, we come up here at the top, and I just want you to write your family name. And so our budget, and this is what we use at our house, Hambrick family monthly operating budget, August 2012. And there's something somewhat empowering when you sit down and you write that across a piece of paper that you believe will begin to direct your finances. You begin to feel like you have some sense of control in a way that you haven't had before. Now, the next part up here at the top, it just has sources of income. Uh, and that's where what it, whenever you get money from your job or from a tax return, whatever it may be, you just put the name of the source, husband check one. Under amount, you write in the amount. This document that you'll be able to download, if you go to bradhambrick.com backslash GCM Foundations, it's on the back of your notebook. If you go there, you can download this Excel document. This document will do all of the math for you. If you simply type the right number in the right cell, all the math is done. 
And so you put all your income up there, and it's going to total it right here where it says total, and down here where it says total income, it's going to move that number down there for you. You don't have to do that. Now, uh, we get to know it a little better, and we see this percentage column. We're going to come back to some of the other pieces here in a minute, but you see the percentage column. That is the numbers largely taken from Dave Ramsey's material, where he says, this is what an average family budget ought to look like in this range. And so one of the things you notice is for mortgage, it says 25 to 35%. Now, if you know Dave Ramsey at all, his conviction is that means the only debt you have is for your home. If you have debt that exceeds one-third of your income, you've got a boat that won't float. Uh, and that's just a number that you need to have in your head. If the debt that I have is more than a third of my income, I am getting a budget that is not exactly seaworthy. And so when you look at car payment and credit card statements and uh, student loans and that kind of thing, if you want to gauge a number, one-third is where you need to bring that into. And you have some other percentages here. Don't hold those as if they're the Bible. They weren't spoken by Moses. They were spoken by Dave Ramsey. Um, but I think he is somebody who has a lot of experience and wisdom in this area. Uh, where it says amount, date, and type, that's just where you put how much you paid, when you paid it, and what you paid it with. And so with mortgage, it would be the amount of your mortgage paid on the first of the month, automatic draft, or check number 1627. You know, whatever you, the amount, the date, and type, you put in those columns. Now, one of the questions that comes up at this point is, ah, what about those things that aren't going to fit real neatly in one spot? Well, you'll notice over here some of these have three asterisks. So, uh, grocery and gasoline. And on the next page in your notebook, uh, there's a sheet that looks like this. On the Excel document, down at the bottom of the page, there's going to be a spot that says, gas and grocery. You click on that and those things that require more than one expense a month, you just put them here and where it says total, it's going to automatically put that on the front page. Okay? Very simple. You look at the receipt, you put it where it goes, you enter those numbers, um, date, time, and uh, type, proposed budget. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But that just means that's what we intend to spend in each of these areas. And then difference. Uh, that over here on the side, on each line item, at the end of every month, you'll be able to see the difference between what you meant to spend and what you actually spend. So if gas goes from $2 to $4 a gallon, and you notice that that line item just explodes on you, okay, we're going to see the difference there. And instead of guessing, nah, I'll throw another $150 at that. We have a sense of how that uh, category is moving each month. Down at the bottom, total income, total expense, monthly balance. Here's the goal. As you get to know and use this form, at the end of every month, you should be able to come to your computer, hit print, and have a single piece of paper that tells you your income, your expenses by line item, the difference between what you meant to spend and what you actually spent and what your balance is at the end of the month so that it's in a simple, crisp, 
clean document that makes for an easy conversation between you and your spouse. And that is, if you choose to use the form that we give you, again, Excel document, all of this is on the front page, everything with an asterisk is on the back page. Uh, hopefully you feel familiar enough at this point that, okay, I know where to put those numbers, this document's going to do all the math for me, there it is. Now step two, uh, once we get familiar with our budget, step two is to define the line items and the proposed columns. Uh, that means I've got to decide for our family what are our fixed necessities. Uh, what are our variable necessities? Where are we going to put these, each of these line items? How much weight are we going to give to each one? And I need to define the amount. Um, and so how much are we going to spend on groceries? How much are we going to set aside for gas. Now, I would say this column is normally what people think of when they think of a budget. They typically think of this column all by itself on a piece of paper, and that's what I call a picture frame budget. Because you could take that piece of paper, you could put it behind a picture frame, you could hang it on a wall and set it there, because all we're going to do is look at it. And feel bad because life doesn't look like that. It's kind of like a family picture. Everybody's sitting there smiling together and we're all like happy. And then you think, we don't actually look like that when we're trying to get to church in the morning. It just, you know, we treat our budget that way. Uh, that the proposed column is not all that a budget is. Now, I will say this. The proposed column is like the skeleton for your body. It's what holds things together. If I have a broken skeleton, my body is not going to function well. But it is the rest of my body that brings my skeleton to life. And so all we're saying right now is we're not going to be financial jellyfish. We're going to have a skeleton. We're going to define that column. And as months change, is any month going to look like this column? No. But when we set back over the course of a year, we should be able to say, we stayed within that over the, course of the, over the course of time. Now, here's an important part of making your budget. Your total income has to be greater than your total expenses. If not, you don't have a budget. You have a fantasy awkwardly squeezed into an Excel document. Um, and we don't want that. Okay, so if... If when you put in your numbers and what your expected income is is less than what you project to spend, we got to come back and cut. And we made it the way that we did so that we could cut whoops, uh, from the bottom up in terms of the easiest way to do that. Now, uh, there are three of those line items that we got to talk about because they are notorious budget busters. Uh, the first of those is miscellaneous. If you overuse it, there is no reason to have a budget. Uh, if it's just, yeah, it's not in the budget, it's miscellaneous, um, it is no good. But if you don't have that, you will have a budget that is so cumbersome that it will take a CPA to figure it out. Um, and, and you just, you won't use it. Now, I'll emphasize another point. The budget is, the monthly budget is for regular expenses. 
And so if you're going on a vacation, is that a regular expense? No, doesn't go in the budget. We're going to deal with that in chapter 5. This is for regular expenses. Through miscellaneous, we deal with kind of small things. Kids' sports leagues, minor home repair, uh, a spontaneous generosity opportunity. Those are the things that we're dealing with. And there's two things that you need to define in terms of miscellaneous. One, we will spend no more than blank dollars without consulting with our spouse. When my wife and I were in seminary and we were seminary poor, it was $20. We didn't spend more than $20 without consulting with the other person. We weren't asking permission. It wasn't mother may I or father may I. It was honoring one another, recognizing that was the level of flexibility that existed within our budget. The second thing is, is if that we need to define, if a purchase exceeds X number of dollars, we will purchase it through designated savings. Meaning if an expense gets to a certain size, I don't do it through miscellaneous anymore. It becomes part of what we're going to cover in chapter 5, designated savings, where we set aside money from what is left over at the end of the month and put towards that. And again, those are two numbers based on your budget and the level of flexibility that you have that you'll need to define as a couple. Second category there is special. This is where you record expenditures from designated savings. And so when we go on a family vacation, we have in designated savings vacation, and then when we spend money on vacation, we still record it, but it is under the special page down at the bottom of that Excel document, and we just pull from savings into our uh, checking account. We make that as an income so that our monthly budget still looks the same, and we go on that vacation, not on credit. We know what we have to spend, and we don't have money fights while we're on vacation. But special is where when you buy things from your designated savings, uh, that you, where you put that. And then finally, gifts. Christmas should not surprise us. It's coming. It's in December. Uh, birthdays, anniversaries, those things should not surprise us. This is, this is one of those things we began doing early on as a couple, and it was an immense blessing. We made a list of every occasion in which we were going to buy a gift. We, did, we made a list of every person that we were going to purchase for on each of those occasions. We decided how much we were going to spend for each of those people, for each of those gifts on each occasion. We totaled that up and we divided it by 12. And we knew we had to set aside this much money per month in order to buy gifts. Throw in some extra for like wedding presents and baby showers and that kind of stuff. You will laugh when I say this. My wife is an excellent shopper. She is really good at it. And what this allows us to do is that when she wants to go shopping because it's a great form of stress relief for a mom, she can go out and she can shop, and she shops for gifts all year long. And she brings things home, and she shows me, and this is what I bought, and this is who we're getting it for, and it goes in a little book, and it's there, and we get people nicer presents than they think that they deserve because we didn't spend as much as it looked like because we bought at times when we could shop and go for the bargain hunting. If we get you a present, I'm sorry, I don't mean to insult you right now. But it, it is a way where that becomes part of just the system and harmony of our home. 
and we don't have shopping fights uh, because we made it part of the budget and the lifestyle and the way that we live. Now, um, taking it a step further here, um, Dennis Rainey, he says, if you want to test a couple's oneness in marriage, take a look at how they handle their finances. And here's where I would say step three is to decide who's going to administrate the budget. You know, we've got this nice little Excel document, and somebody's got to enter the numbers. And uh, if both people enter the numbers, there's a good chance stuff is going to get lost. My conviction, you don't have to agree with me on this, it doesn't matter who administrates the budget. If a church can have a male or female accountant, then either the husband or wife can administrate the budget. My role as leader of my family is not to make sure that I'm the one that enters every line item in the budget. My role as leader is to make sure that we have a budget, that it's a functional budget, and that we review it together at the end of the month. And so some questions that, that I think help you decide who's going to administrate the budget. Who enjoys paying attention to details more? Who is more disciplined about consistently engaging repetitive tasks? Who is better with numbers? Uh, does dealing with finances make either of you fearful? Would administrating the finances exacerbating control issues for either one of you? As you answer those kinds of questions, hopefully it becomes obvious which one of you would be better to administrate the budget. I can tell you it's in our family, it's my wife. She does a fabulous job with details, and she stays on top of it with excellence. Now here's a kicker. Stay with me. The non-administrating spouse does not get a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of financial awareness. If you do that, you will create a responsible spouse and an irresponsible spouse that will create a parent-child relationship in your marriage that will be destructive. Hear me say, do not do that. Both of you need to be informed of the finances. Both of you need to know aware of what's going on. Both of you need to be able to be capable of administrating the system if one of you happens not to be able to do it for a period of time. And so do not think that because one of us is administrating, the other is the irresponsible spouse. Huge mistake. So step three, decide who's going to administrate. Step four, designate a place for your receipts. Here's an important statement. Every purchase you make comes with a receipt for a reason. And it is not because there are hungry trash cans. Our government believes that the transfer of finances is so important that there needs to be a written record handed to somebody else in order to make sure there is verification of that. This is one of those areas where I agree with our government. We should keep up with these things. This is my life that I am spending. And this is as simple as when I get a receipt, it goes in my wallet. If it's not clear what it's for, you will see that there is handwriting right up here. This is a real receipt. This is not a stage dummy. At least this is, and I may be. Um, this, right up here at the top, if it's not clear, I just write what it's for. So that I put it in here, and there's a little box next to the computer where we keep this. And when I come home, I put this in the box so that all the receipts are in there. When they come out of the box, they get recorded. If it's something we may take back, we keep it. If not, we throw it away. Done. Simple. 
Everything's coming through. The value of transparency is huge. As a counselor, I work with many people who are in the midst of of marital crises. And I would say a significant percentage would be prevented if they were just transparent about their finances. If they couldn't get into debt or begin having an affair or do other um, substance abuse or those kinds of things, if they just kept off with where their money went. Um, Not as a matter of control, but just keeping up with life. And so every receipt always goes without exception in this one place. We together on this? Good. Uh, Plato, i uh, get a little philosophical on you here for a moment. He says, I never did anything worth doing by accident. This is where we just get into the regular habit of things. Step five, those receipts get recorded at least weekly. The difference between vision and good intentions is implementation. If you want to know one of the biggest budget killers for people who get to this point in the process... It's procrastination. That, <clears throat> that little box gets so full, it won't shut. And all of a sudden, they go, I'm not doing that. And we start to back away from it like we're scared of it. If you will take the time once a week to enter those things in, then it becomes something that you can do in 30 minutes or less. It's something that you can do not just in place of a sitcom. It becomes something you can do while you watch the sitcom. Because it's not that complicated. It, now, I will say this. If you, if you use a credit card receipt, and do not tell Dave Ramsey I said this, okay? If you use a credit card receipt and you enter that, you enter it just like you do with a check or if you were paying cash, you enter it on this form. That helps you associate pain with the expense so that we spend less. Uh, But what it does mean is when you write the check to pay the credit card, you don't put that on the form because that's already come through here. If you try to put the credit card statement on here, then it messes the system up. That's kind of the one goofy thing about the form that we have here that you just have to look for. Now, step six. Review your budget together at the end of every month. Again, we print this thing off. We've done this work, so we have a single piece of paper that shows us our budget We print it off and we look at it. We do that every month. Once you get past those first three or four months and your budget's set, this may not take five to ten minutes. But even if it's brief, don't skip it. This is when you're going to make edits to your budget. This is when you say, okay, the price of gas has changed. The price of groceries changed. We, uh, We put our kids in piano lessons. We need to put that in. That's now a fixed luxury expense. We... You know, we do some of those kinds of things with our budget. Uh, that's what happens at the end of the month meeting. This is what we, when we decide what to do with the extra money. And there should be extra money because our budget is only for normal expenses. And as we begin to see that we save money throughout the month, we are good, we are disciplined, so that we can put money at the end of the month toward the things that are important to us. I will tell you, when we get to chapter 5, that is an immense blessing to your marriage. Uh, We won't cover that here, but this is where when we get to chapter 5 and we say we're deciding what to do with that money, this is where we find out where that money is. And then step 7. Make a new form 
and do the same thing next month. Uh, the key to budgeting is doing it again and again and again for the rest of your life until death do you part. I think that should be part of the wedding vows. Um, haven't ever got anybody to put that in there, but, you know, it's my opinion. Um, but all this means is that you zero out your budget and you start over. Select the dot, clear content, you're good to go. In this sense, budgeting is like cleaning your house. It's not hard, but it requires consistency or it becomes overwhelming. Uh, and we've just created a system where it can be done on a regular basis. And so we go back to step five. Uh, we record our receipts against weekly, and we're good. So one final thought from John Piper. He says, the issue is not how much a person makes. Uh, big industry and big salaries are facts of our times, and they're not necessarily evil. The evil is in being deceived into thinking a $100,000 salary must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. God has made us to be conduits of His grace. The danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't. Copper will do. And I make that statement not just as a statement of generosity, although I think it's a great statement of generosity. I think it's also a wisdom statement. Because when our lifestyle matches our income, we are one event away from a financial crisis. And when we begin to say, as a part of protecting our family and placing ourselves in a position to steward our resources for the glory of God, we are going to take our income and our lifestyle is going to be a step below that. Uh, I think that is something that provides a sense of, if you will, shocks on the car of life. You know, you want good shocks on your car so that when you hit a bump, it doesn't completely jar you. Uh, that is what we are creating here when we do a budget and we accept a copper lifestyle. And I think it does profound things for the marriage in terms of trust. Because when as a couple, we can leave money on the table because we trust one another, because we want to invest in each other's dreams in a delayed gratification way at the end of the month, and because we have a shared mission and values that we want to invest in in order to advance God's kingdom, that is going to do incredible things for the level of trust and unity within your marriage. And what we've done in this chapter is to give you a document that allows you to arrange your finances so that you can do that very intentionally and simply. And after you get through those first few months of defining what it's going to look like in less than 30 minutes a week. So thank you. I appreciate everybody coming. I'm going to pray for us and then, uh, then we'll wrap up.